Welcome to another episode. Me, me, me. Uh, hello. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of uh, Eric's Mediocre Adventures. Uh, today is, is going to be a fun one because I've got my second guest on the podcast. Um, my good friend Matthew. Say hello, Matthew. Hello, hello. Uh, I have known uh, Matt for how many years now? It's it's four, uh, 14 years, 15 yeah, years almost. It's been forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we've been friends since, since grade nine of high school. Uh, and we're now almost 30. <laughs> it's really, that's great. I needed the reminder. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I didn't really as just kind of become a theme with me i've just not wanted to watch harry potter and i've not so i've not continued that series uh and i always just keep finding random other things to do and this time was uh i had an urge to watch a bunch of batman movies for some reason uh and then i was like i want to talk about them and then i reached out to matt and, and i was like let's talk about them and he's like okay I'll, and I'll, I'll go watch them so uh <laughs> so we watched uh, there's three that we watched for this episode, and then there's going to be, uh, I think, four or five that will come after if he still wants to do another one after. But that uh, that'll be for another time. Um, but how this kind of all started is uh, Matt has begun collecting comic books, oh, yeah, uh, particularly. I went really deep into that rabbit hole. Yeah, he, he's gone pretty deep into the rabbit hole of collecting comic books, and uh, through I guess osmosis, I kind of got into. So I've always collected comic books. I have like six long boxes in my spare room right now, but I never really got into getting like good quality ones, uh, getting the graded comics. And once he started doing that and started sending me pictures like through osmosis, it kind of got me doing it too. And then because of that, I wanted to watch uh, some comic book movies, and I, you know, started with Batman. So uh, what? So you, I know uh, I know what you have, but like, what's been the favorite stuff you've gotten so far, collection-wise? Uh, well, there's a couple that I'm really uh, like. It, it really started with I don't know what. It, like, I don't remember the exact first one that was like, oh, I need to start like collecting these. This is gonna be a really awesome idea. But I know the one I was immediately like just grabbed by was uh, Batman Year One. Just and that's it's really good that we're actually gonna be talking about that today because I mean it's kind of one of the first technically those first four issues uh, 404 405 six and seven <laughs> I can were, hear Batman in your background the first ones I picked up so the fact that you know there's some serious story significance there that obviously plays into what became Batman begins and some other movies it you know it that was probably the start and probably the big uh enjoy like first big thing that i got for that collection uh in terms of collectability i wouldn't say it's like the the best thing that's there but for its significance i really like i really like the year one storyline uh apart from that you know i've been big on um like Todd McFarlane's Batman 423. Like a lot of the stuff I'm starting to get is more art focused. Right. Like really cool covers, significant stories. So like the Black Mirror stuff from Detective Comics 
I love that. I just finished reading all of those, and I thought those were great with uh, Dick. Yeah, that's that is that is yeah, that's probably the best Dick solo uh, bat story. I think the Black Mirror one. Uh, yeah. I, I personally think his best like story arc as Batman is the early Batman and Robin stuff uh, by Grant Morrison. When it's it's kind of like they the roles have switched where like the the Batman's now more carefree and the Robin is a uh, this like strict angry child. <laughs> I actually picked up the uh, that Batman and Robin issue number one. Nice. I picked that one up as well. That one's coming at some point. Nice. Yeah, well, that's... I'm excited because it's a uh, it's exactly what you said. Like when I read Black Mirror, I hadn't really uh, followed up with like what batman was like outside of bruce you know i I watched like batman beyond when i was younger so i kind of saw you know terry mcginnis's side of things but you know full-on dick grayson as batman and i'm surprised at how lighthearted he was even in black mirror that's a fairly dark story as far as i'm concerned oh yeah it's quite dark. i I started reading it again recently and i didn't finish it i'm still i'm not done it yet but if i remember correctly that's the one with um it's james gordon jr right yeah yeah, he comes back in the new Fifty Two in a like a less good way, but this this storyline was so good. It was, was it Scott Snyder or was it Grant Morrison who did Black Mirror? Uh, it is Snyder. It is Snyder. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, so he did that, and then he went right into Court of Owls. So it's like he was on a, he was on a roll. <laughs> yeah, the guy's really he's he's put out some pretty good stuff. Oh yeah. The uh, the other thing that's significant about um, when we. I know we'll get back to like the movie idea later, but with Black Mirror and the return of uh, you know Gordon Jr. is he's a part of Year One. I don't know if that was like a a canon connection between Year One and the Black Mirror storyline. I don't know if there's stuff in between that I'm just not familiar with. But so I I, I I'll kind of get into it near the end of what I'm talking about Year One, like in my bit. Uh, but I'll I'll kind of briefly mention it now so year one is one of those weirdly complicated things where it is technically not canon uh it's technically in its own kind of universe but it's been accepted by most of the people who've written main continuity batman as uh essentially being his origin so for the most part everything that happened there has happened so like um Sarah Essen becomes uh, his wife in the comics after he after the affair and stuff like that like that kind of stuff happens uh, later on in Batman but I don't think it is necessarily canon I can't quite remember but um, yeah it's it's different than like say like the killing joke where the killing joke is very obviously not canon because it is in a, it's in a different continuity and they say as much Whereas year one is kind of in, kind of out. Uh, but. One thing I've come to notice from my brief now time getting into this kind of thing is that big uh, stories like year one, killing joke, you know, various little things like that, even if they're not true, like continuity, their own, like, their own Elseworld type storylines so many main works kind of always come back to those things yeah they 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 will take the pieces that they want and that they like 
or that they that they're allowed to take and they'll put it into the main continuity usually yeah. so like uh killing joke the main theory as to why killing joke is not uh canon is because many of the like pretty well-known like batman writers and stuff uh fully believe that at the end of killing joke he snaps the joker's neck and kills him so like there could not be a continuation of that because the joker's dead in that but in the main continuity for the most part a lot of that happened uh barbara gordon got shot got paralyzed and that continued uh just the things that likely didn't happen were the part where they're laughing together in the rain and he snaps his neck like <laughs> that that likely didn't happen um but i just pulled up like the batman year one page since this is the first movie we're going to talk about i might as well bring it up now uh apparently it was in the main continuity so batman year one was and then batman year two was but then year two had been erased by crisis on, on infinite earths so like there's been sequels and stuff to year one that's come that are not canon but year one is considered canon until the new 52 right so which makes sense because they have to do that sort of thing all the time it seems yeah so like the long halloween and dark victory i think are both the canon sequels to it and then the other ones are not but that's it's a weird thing and it's like who actually really knows anymore uh <laughs> especially with new 52 came out the new 52 died and then rebirth started and rebirth is kind of a mix of new 52 and pre-new 52 so it's 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 i feel like it's also pretty safe to assume i know it's a little more off track as well but uh with what's currently going on i'm sure you're probably gonna get some other sort of continuity reset in your future as well yeah it's just my sense of things uh, it's my sense of things as well um pretty much right after the uh i don't know if you've been reading it but the um the like the, the city of bane story arc i haven't seen that enough. no oh so that's the that was the most recent arc before the uh the ghost guy i can't ghost maker yeah. and uh so and in that story arc spoiler alert people if anyone's reading uh they like legitimately killed alfred so like <laughs> I don't yeah. there's not like when when a big character dies like that they're either coming back somehow or you know you're heading towards a, a reset of some kind well they're still doing that big like uh, crisis event right now where they not look the dark the Batman who laughs who's become super insanely powerful I think they're talking about that's, that's kind of where I was thinking they're going with a reset is after this sort of it seems like a crisis level I honestly, I, I don't know. I've not, I've not followed the darkness metal stuff. I, I, I for some reason, it just never like came onto my radar. See, that's surprising because I would have figured, like being the Flash guy that you are, you would have really hopped onto the uh, like the Red Death and then kept going with it from there. Uh, pretty much since, like I, as you know, like when we were, because we, other people won't know, but we went to university together for the most part. Uh, until I left to go work and then I came back and, and whatever but I read comics weekly like every new comic book day for years I would read weekly and then as soon as law school started I got uh, I it just got I couldn't keep up anymore and I fell off and I've just never gotten back on 
life getting in the way of things again. That's all it is. Yep. So now I just, if I hear like whispers of stuff, like uh, when Brian Michael Bendis came onto DC, I went and got a few of his early issues of like the Young Justice book he was doing. Because he was the guy who did the Ultimate Spider-Man uh, comic that I love, and like so he like brought in Miles Morales and stuff, like so I was like I'm gonna go read that, <laughs> but for the most part I don't really read much anymore other than going back and reading like my favorite stories. Like right now, I'm reading uh, Court of Owls again, and then I'm rereading um, the Thor stuff with uh, Jane Foster. It, like in preparation, I suppose, for the fourth Thor movie, yeah. But yeah, so let's get into this uh, this movie, I guess. So, Batman Year One is obviously based on the uh, Frank Miller Year One story arc of the Batman comics. Um, I believe it was from the 1980s, 1987? I think it's 86. 86, 87, okay. Uh... And the film came out in 2011. Um, it's not a super well-received movie. Like, it's, it's positive, but uh, I know a lot of people didn't much care for the voice cast. Um, but it's, it's certainly faithful. That's one of the big things people say about it is that it is a faithful adaptation, and I, I would argue that it is um, as well. So do you yeah, want to... I would agree with yeah? that like it one thing i've heard from time to time when i have kind of tuned in and out of this kind of stuff is you know people will talk about, oh it's really faithful to you know the source material but then all of a sudden sometimes like i always think back to the killing joke is personally like a really good example is it's pretty much completely <clears throat> uh follows the source material except for the first like half an hour <laughs> which is just completely out of left field so then you have something like Batman Year One, which is start to finish, basically completely faithful, and it's it's just funny to see that no matter what, people either are happy with that or not happy with that. Yeah, well, that's that's the main reason I haven't watched The Killing Joke. Like I pers- I don't like The Killing Joke. Like, and I know that's kind of heinous as like a as a Batman <laughs> fan to say. I don't like the graphic novel. I don't like the story. Um, I like, I like the I like everything with the Joker in his backstory, and then learning that it's not his backstory and that he's been lying and stuff. And that's not to bring up three Jokers, which kind of confirms stuff. But just it within this own world, um, I like that stuff. But I don't like the stuff with the Gordons and everything that happens to them. I feel like that it, they took it a bit too far in that one, and that's something Alan Moore often does. He takes things a bit too far, <laughs> and then. They made it even worse in the movie when they brought in the uh, the romantic relationship between Bruce and then essentially a child. Like, <laughs> it was a little surprising to say the least when yeah. I was watching it. Yeah, even more so. Like, but I I understood why they kind of okay wait I, I know why they padded the movie time because <laughs> uh, the book itself is quite quick. Yeah, like if they were to put it to film, it would be like I feel like half an hour. 45 minutes maybe yeah that's and, fair uh, they needed that extra padding but what they decided to pad it with is definitely weird but yeah they could have they could there's so many things they could have padded it with like <laughs> that the, the fact that they went with that was was strange but 
anyway, so yeah, this movie came out in 2011. Um, it's got a great cast. Brian Cranston is Gordon. Ben McKenzie is Batman. Uh, Eliza Dushku is Catwoman. And I don't remember the rest. They're probably not really that important. But do you want to talk about your thoughts on this one first, or, or do you want me to? Uh, yeah, I p- took some notes when I was going through it. Like, I had watched it a couple weeks ago, and I just kind of, uh, you know, watched some more clips and stuff like that online to kind of refresh my memory a little bit. Right. And there's a few there's some standout things. Like, when I think of uh, this one in particular, what I really appreciate is the fact that it's not like a cliche superhero trope movie there's not like oh here's you know you got your story you got your big bad villain that's gonna like destroy the city and or the world and then you have fight and then the end you know what i mean it's not like that sort of cliche storyline i like the fact that it's a lot more grounded like it's cliche for obviously batman stuff oh my parents died I got emotional issues i'm gonna dress up like a bat and go fight crime yeah <laughs> you see a lot of that you see this specific thing rehashed across all of the movies like mainstream movies you see all that constantly but uh for the fact that there's no big conflict i really appreciate about this movie you have uh a more personal kind of storyline between the you know jim gordon you got batman they're doing their completely separate thing and you kind of through their own monologues kind of get an idea of what they're thinking and how they're actually really similar people in a lot of ways. Uh, their approach to moment-to-moment situations, like when you know Bruce is pretending to be a homeless guy, and he's thinking his way through, you know, his immediate situation with the pimp and the, the other people that are come, kind of coming after him, and how he's dealing with the police. How he's kind of like you can see him working through things. Yeah. Gordon's got the same situation when he's going through and dealing with uh, the police force and the corruption that goes on there. You can actually s- listen to their thoughts on the matter and how similar they think about uh, fixing Gotham in a lot of ways yeah. and their perspective on that. I really appreciate that kind of more grounded uh, storyline. You're not dealing with the crazy Joker going to go blow up. Gotham Bank or something like that, you know what I mean? It's a little bit more realistic, and I really appreciate that about this movie, and then also, again, with uh, Batman Begins, to some extent. (laughs) Yeah, that's one thing I noted, too, about this movie, and there's a word for it that I couldn't remember, but it's like you you see the similar paths of both of them at the same time. Like, you follow them both for this year, and there's a word for it. Uh, I just can't think of it, and I, I still can't think of it. It's been days. Um, but yeah, no, I I agree with pretty much everything you said there. But it's like the, that's one thing I really like is the comparison. Uh, like the, you, they both get introduced. In Bruce's case, it's reintroduced at the same time to Gotham, and then you kind of follow them together. And I think that's that was really cool well it's funny because yeah like you said like when they come in you know you have bruce flying in and he's flying in above the city and he's just like oh it looks so great you know but it's i know that it's not you know i want to be down there seeing the streets as it is and then you have gordon he's driving in i think he's on the train actually and uh you know he's just like oh this place is crap i'd like (laughs) to be like basically flying above it and uh 
you know, they're both very similar and a lot of their own like thought processes on things. But that was one of the things I picked up on that I really appreciated about year one is just the amount of uh, personal understanding that you get from these two guys over the course of the whole thing, which is really cool. Yeah, and I think it is weird too because he does fly in, he shows him on the plane, yet don't they run into each other at the train station? Is there like a weird moment in the movie where like he sees like the paparazzi trying to get pictures of Bruce and stuff? Unless I'm misremembering that. I mean, there might be something. Like one thing that you can kind of fault it on is the fact that time moves really weirdly in this one. Yeah. And you can't, like, it's possible, like one scene, you yeah, they fly, they come in on train, but then maybe two scenes later, there's some other passing by through travel it could be like seven months down the road <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh that yeah that all makes sense uh i might get repetitive here but i just I, I, i'll just talk about my thoughts on it too um so i i love this comic the comic itself i it's one of my favorites um and i and i've read it often i've read it probably twice this year even just before i even watched this movie but it's like the best way I think to explain it is if you take Batman, you turn up the emo and the goth by like ten times, <laughs> and then you have Batman in this. Um, the first thing I kind of talked about was just for me, uh, I love Ben McKenzie. I know you do too. We're both big fans of the OC. Um, like Ryan Atwood is the bomb, but he was a weird choice for Batman, or he just did a really weird thing with his voice for some reason. Like, I found the voiceovers were particularly painful to listen to. Uh, especially since Bruce is supposed to be 25, and he, and he kind of talks like he's a 50-year-old man. Um, his speaking voice is Bruce, I don't think is bad at all, except when he's trying to be, like, the fake... Like, uh, when he's putting on the act of being Bruce. But four years of, of watching Ben McKenzie as Ryan Atwood, like, has shown that he can do intense and he can do moody, like, extremely well. Not to mention Gotham and stuff, which I didn't watch all of, but what I did see, like, he can clearly do it, so I'm just assuming it was a direction from the higher-ups or something, or he just started doing this weird voice and no one stopped him. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's one of the things I was... I picked up a lot. Like, I didn't, I didn't notice it the first time, really. Like, I knew... It was there was something there that was weird, you know, like in terms of uh, voices being a little off from what you kind of assume that they could should be. Yeah. Uh, and then when I looked back at standalone uh, clips later, I'm like, holy smokes! Like, yeah, his his work was really flat in a lot of ways. Yeah, flat's a good word for it. You you like there's this one uh, one part. I actually love this particular scene is that he's basically dying you know what I mean he's in his he's at the mansion he's dying and he's having like that, that monologue about basically not knowing what he's doing he's failed uh, he's like I can ring this bell right now and you know Alfred will come save me but I kind of just want to die here and that entire time was just really really flat and it was no different than any other time when he's uh at, at any other point in the movie, really, is all it was. It was just the same across the board. Yeah. And, like, this dude's dying. <laughs> which he's is having this, like, which big is, speech, and he's dying, and he sounds the same way he did 20 minutes ago. Which is crazy about the fact that that scene is still good. 
Like the fact yeah. that the like the, the the acting in it is like is is flat, which is a good word for it. But I I don't know if it's just having read the comic, being familiar with it, or if it's just like the the animation of it is powerful. But it's just still a good scene. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, the, you know it's funny. I was I was watching like I was saying I was watching some clips, and I was watching looking some of the comments afterwards, and you know there's the scene the bat comes crashing through the window and it lands on the statue of his dad. That's super powerful. And then I top comments like, you know what? If this was realistic, the bat would have just bounced off the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, went, probably. Bang, and then down it went. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another thing I noticed that kind of bugged me was all the characters, they're all drawn uh, having no whites in their eyes, and like their irises and pupils are just black. Um, I'm assuming they just did that for the ease of animation, but it kind of reminded me of like the old Flintstone cartoons. But the weirdest thing about it is that we get the flashback that you mentioned of, of his parents dying. And in that flashback, Bruce has normal blue eyes. Like, his eyes were drawn, like, normal, and they're blue. It's very strange. <laughs> um, I think you could make... I mean, I'm sure this isn't anything, but, you know, at that, in that particular scene, like, maybe they were going for, okay, most people's eyes are this dark color. There's nothing really... Uh, that stands out about a regular person's eyes in Gotham over time just kind of like drains the life out of your eyes kind of thing it's all dark and depressing but when you see Bruce like young Bruce he's still a kid and then it's like you see the face shot of Bruce when he's a kid he's got the white eyes he looks normal apart from the fact that his parents just died and then it transitions immediately to the older Bruce and you see his eyes are dark so it's kind of like that transition from that youthful childhood to sad Gotham dude like everybody else I mean I don't buy that uh, sure, <laughs> but but it sounds sure real good <laughs> but you could look at it that way you could look at it that way but I think I think the fact that I'm pretty sure like when we see James Jr. later he's got the black eyes so but um, well, he might be a little psychopath anyway well yeah yeah maybe so you could be right um yeah, I also noted, you kind of mentioned it uh, about the time. I, I noticed that there's a lot of time skips that are quite jarring. Uh, yeah. It's hard to, like, follow. And I know that the cop stuff, uh, so, like, all of the stuff going on with Gordon is a carryover from the comics because the comic is half of the time with Gordon, if not more. Like, and it's supposed to be this kind of, you see these two people's year that you're following. But the cop scenes feel really condensed, like, that, that they've been shortened and some of them have been mm-hmm. left out and so when you mix that in with the time skips it makes it like a lot less good in my opinion it's I think the problem with that like we both picked up on that and I know other people have picked up on it too is that this story is ultimately a whole year you know what I mean it's supposed to cover an entire year I don't know about the I'm not sure what the length of the movie is but I'm sure oh, it's, it's only like maybe it's an, an hour, hour and four minutes I think yeah, 64 minutes. So, 64 minutes to cover an introduction of Bruce and Jim establishing Gotham and then covering a whole year of that story. It's it's a lot to cover. So it, it makes sense that there's going to be all these like time jumps and you know things a little disjointed. But it it is. I can't see why they couldn't have maybe done like they did it with the Dark Knight Returns. You know what I mean? The, the part two parts. Two. Yeah. Or even just, like, for some reason, I noticed with a lot of these animated movies, they're just kind of short. But, like, yeah. 
other than like I guess like it being more work, what's wrong with just putting out a two hour epic like animated yeah. movie like especially if like part one and part two together is I think almost three hours. Yeah, it's, well, two it's two and a half, so yeah. But like, why couldn't have year one been two? Exactly. Like, I don't. Obviously, this is it's uh, the answer to that is outside of my expertise. You know, yeah. I'm not an animator by any means, but I don't. It must be so much cheaper and must much more uh, worthwhile for them just to be like, look, these four issues that we're basing this comic book on or this movie on isn't very big anyway so let's just be as faithful as we can and the timeline is what it is yeah but you're gonna get some pacing issues out of that because i mean i'm sure not all four issues came out at the same time i'm sure they spread out over probably a few months (laughs) oh yeah if not longer when it comes to like when big names like that do a story arc usually they get spread out significantly (laughs) yeah so i mean a year to people reading the comic books We'd be like, oh, okay, this makes sense. But a year to you watching an hour-long movie is just like, holy smokes. Yeah. That's kind of why I think the uh, if there's a long Halloween movie, it's probably going to suffer from the same problem. I can't imagine that they're going to do a young Halloween movie, mostly just because every movie that they've done recently, like I've not watched it yet, and I and I plan to watch it. Like I, I want to watch it. But Hush, the Hush movie, I think that they just like they shoved it into this continuity that they're in now so like Damian Wayne's there and stuff like even though he should not be like they do that kind of stuff where they're like we'll adapt this story but we're gonna adapt it in now so I I don't like I feel like they wouldn't do well I I haven't uh, I I recall watching the Court of Owls movie I can't remember what that one's called it's probably Son of the Demon or Bad Blood or something but I think it's Batman versus Robin, but I'm not sure. Batman, yeah, Batman versus Robin. I'm pretty sure, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm fairly sure that Damien wasn't in those first eleven issues for the Court of the Owls. Um, that was new, that was New Fifty Two, like the first few issues. I don't think he was. I, I, might th- be, I think no, he, he was. I, yeah, he was because there's like a uh, there's like a image where it shows all of them at like a party. Like, they're all in suits, except I, th- I think Jason's not there, but, like, Dick's there, Tim's there, and Damien's there. If I remember correctly, but... I'll have to actually, uh, read the issues. Like, I actually he, w- he was not nearly as important as they made him to be in that movie, though. Mm. For some reason, after the Son of the Batman movie, they, people seemed to... Like, I don't know if people actually were big fans of him, or if they thought people were big fans of him but he became a very big part of all of the movies that followed yeah so like he was in that one uh they put him into the multiple teen titans movies that came out uh and he's been in every batman movie i think since except for maybe batman and harley quinn and gotham by gaslight of course but yeah yeah i was gonna say i've seen damon uh damien it seems like every animated movie from the last couple of years, yeah. for sure. Don't get me wrong, I love Damien Wayne as a character. Like, in the comics, I do not really like... Uh, whoever the voice actor is for him in the animated movies, I'm not a particular fan of. But 
Anyway, really? Yeah. I, I, I love this. Uh, I love that little guy. I like I liked the one that we get in Harley Quinn more. Like, but I don't know if you've watched that yet. Uh, yes, I have seen like a clip. He's very rambunctious. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Or is that Tim? <laughs> no, that that if if you if it's the Harley Quinn show, that's Damien. <laughs> so the R-rated show. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, back to this movie. Um, we get to see a lot of Gordon fighting, and I think in this one it really shows. Like, it really cements how this man could have been Batman in a different life. Um, there was a brief run where he was Batman, and it wasn't great, because he was, like, in a mech suit and stuff for some reason. But still, I like I like the fact that we see him with these kind of skills. But we do get yeah. a really dumb scene, though, where, uh, if you remember, the, the, the dirty cops, they assault uh, Gordon with baseball bats in, like, the, in the garage. And yeah. they they go through this whole process of dressing up like robbers and wearing masks and stuff like that, but it's clear to everyone there that they're they are the dirty cops. Like they know that he knows, he knows that it's them. Like it's super obvious to all the audience that it's them. So why bother wearing the masks? But right. <laughs> oh well. No, I you kind of touch on that again. Is you know, you see how impressive. Gordon really is like you know you think of uh, the Nolan Batman movies you don't get a sense that Gordon's really he's a, he's a cop you know he's a good guy he's a cop and this one you get that he's a good guy and a cop but you also recognize that this guy's kind of a badass <laughs> like yeah he could very easily be a Batman type person you know he thinks and he's very efficient with what he does when it comes to combat versus those corrupt cops and you can definitely see why these guys would be a really powerful team that you kind of yeah. get for the next few years yeah, and I think um, the Nolan stuff is the only like in the Nolan stuff I think he's just like he's a beat cop that became like worked his way up to commissioner but I think in everything else so like in this he was either in the marines or he was in special forces uh, yeah. in Gotham he was in the marines as well like he usually comes from a military background and you like you know he's had some training like beyond being a cop and i like that you get to see that uh and then we also meet catwoman in this one and just as in the comics she's kind of portrayed as either a prostitute a dominatrix or both i'm not quite sure but um this is just something i've noticed from frank miller is he does this where he kind of overly sexualizes women uh he did it with black canary in the all-star batman and robin series and it seems to be a thing of his with women in general like if you watch sin city or 300 and stuff he uh mm-hmm. and not that there's anything wrong with being a sexually free person but he just paints them in like a, a negatively over overly sexual way that isn't supposed to be freeing like it it, it falls into that potentially sexist area and um it's just something you notice more now today uh, than I would have like it when I watched this in 2011. Um, when you, when it you... definitely uh, it speaks. It really speaks to you know who he is, kind of in a way, like and the eras at which he was doing the most of his work. You know what I mean? The the audience that he was pretty much catering everything to was you know young boys, teenage boys, that sort of thing, and sex sells mm. so that I, I feel like in a lot of ways it, I don't know it 
how he himself is as a person in terms of like his views and stuff but I definitely think he the way he has done his work and his portrayals of certain characters is definitely uh, more suited to the demographic that he's building his stuff for Right. I, I always just kind of assume that he just doesn't really know how to write women, so he just goes to this default of them being, like, sex items, but <laughs> yeah. let's move on from that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, my main thought, I don't really have much else on this movie, but my main, main thought generally while watching this every time is that the comic is just so much better. Um, but the scenes are still, some of them are still super dope. Like, you, you talked about it, but uh, Bruce talking to his father and then the bat comes crashing through the window. Um, the scene where he goes and confronts like the rich people, and he says, "The ladies and gentlemen, you have eaten well." Like, oh, oh I love that one. Yes, and then he cle- like the scene where he clears the cops of that abandoned building with the bats. With the bats, yeah. and then there's just like on his first night out when he's fighting those robbers, and he like he beats them, but then he's just like amateur, fucking amateur. <laughs> it's just it's just so good. Also, like the yeah. the bat suit in it just looks incredible, and I I like that we get to see these moments of him where like you like he's obviously new at this and he's he's trying to set up he's trying to set up the myth he's trying to be like like as we hear in Batman Begins he's trying to be an idea, so like you have his like overdramatic self going around and setting up floodlights and stuff in advance so that he can do his entrance and stuff. <laughs> I love that that kind of thing. Um, one thing I didn't really like, but I know it. I mean, it, it obviously makes sense for anyone who has like a brain that, like, uh, pretty early on, Gordon and Essen suspect Bruce as Batman. <laughs> yeah, she like, did a really good job. Like very quickly, he's like, "Yeah, it's Bruce Wayne." I'm like, "Man, <laughs> yeah, go work in Metropolis if you figure out who Superman is." Yeah, but the I like I didn't like that because I always like like I like the idea that they don't know, but like anyone with a brain would go would think that like it's probably him. <laughs> so so I'm okay with it, and it also gets us that cool scene. Um, that's kind of uh, you get to see an homage of it in The Dark Knight uh, when Bruce saves his uh, James Junior on the bridge, and uh, mm. and Gordon. Like, he lost his glasses somehow, but he can clearly see that it's Bruce because it's daytime, so he's not wearing his costume. Like, so he, he, he now knows at this point that it's Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne's Batman, but he pretends that he can't see him without his glasses and he just lets him go. Like, I really like that. Yeah, I appreciated that as well. It, uh, it really, yeah, really cements the kind of working relationship and friendship that... You know, he recognizes that he's there for good, regardless of who he is. I mean, he's there for good, and he kind of they need each other. So, yeah, thanks for saving my kid. Get on, get on your way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only thing I don't like about Gordon this one, and it's more like a personal thing, is just like, he he cheats on his pregnant wife, <laughs> like like a, like a bit of a d bag, um, yeah. <laughs> which is right out of the comic. Like uh, in the comic, they he cheats on her, and he eventually marries Sarah Essen, and and. That's why, like, Jim Gordon, Jim, Jim Jr., uh, like, leaves, because he goes to live with with his mom and stuff. Um, but, yeah. You see. definitely, like, as bad as that one is, too, you know, you definitely, it's just further proof that nobody in Gotham, even even the good guys, are 
wholly good. Yeah. Which is, is nice. It feels like it's kind of the point there. Yeah, and um, because I know a lot of people don't really know this, but like uh, Barbara Gordon, who's Batgirl. Uh, when I first read this, I was like, if they get divorced, how how does Batgirl come about? But it's in most cases early on, she wasn't initially his daughter. She was uh, his niece, and then they changed it later for him to have been like adopted as his daughter if that makes sense uh, see that's news to me but I mean like everybody in Gotham everyone seems to be adopted in some form or another yeah so like I don't think she I don't even know if they've changed it she might still be his niece but I don't actually know anyway why couldn't they just say he's asking anyway, yeah. yeah anyways it's not important um <laughs> Uh, it's a really good movie. Uh, I think it's a weird voice cast beyond just Batman. Like, I, 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 there's a few weird, like, voice performances. Like, um, I think it's Falcone. I'm not sure. Uh, he's weird. Um, the mayor is weird. Like, it's just some weird stuff. But it, the, it's a really good comic. It's a faithful movie, and it ends with the stinger for the Joker too, and they they bring up poisoning the water supply. Which is very obviously, again, seen in Batman Begins. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Batman Begins. <laughs> Speaking of Batman Begins, uh, I, I, I know that anyone who would even listen to this or, or whatever is already fully aware of it, but I will still do, I guess, uh, a brief introduction for it. <laughs> so this one was a 2005 movie directed by Christopher Nolan. Um, it was the first Batman movie since Batman and Robin killed the series, and it and it had been almost a decade. I think nineteen ninety seven was Batman and Robin. I don't even think I think they killed DC movies because the only movie that I can remember from DC coming out between these was maybe Catwoman, which was also awful. Like, <laughs> do you remember any other ones that came out between them? Uh. I want to. I mean, you're talking live action, right? Cause I'm yeah. pretty sure they've done like some of the Batman animated. Movies. Yeah, li- live action. Uh, I don't think any stand out then. None that come to mind. Yeah, because Catwoman I think was 2004, and then Superman Returns was 2006. But yeah, anyways, uh, this came out in 2005. It was very well received. Mostly, I think, because of how seriously and like earnestly they took the world. Uh, and Christian Bale, uh, he is in the lean role as Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne in this one. He's still up there, probably is my favorite of the Bruce Waynes and Batmans. Uh, I think Batfleck had potential, but we didn't get to see enough of him, and he was kind of mishandled. Uh, Keaton never really did it for me. Clooney is better off not mentioning, and then Val Kilmer is fine. I know that I, at least back in the past, yours used to be Keaton. But I, where do you stand now on the Batman's live action? Let me see. <laughs> so for me, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because when it comes to Batman Bruce Wayne, I feel like you you treat them as separate characters because I feel like all of the actors have either like when I think of Bale, uh, for me, he's a perfect Bruce Wayne. Like he's just awesome in every way. But then. When it comes to Batman, while I really like 
some of the anger that he brings to the role. For me, my favorite Batman's Batflick. In terms of when we were word this in the right way, like his physical uh, aesthetic that mm. he brings to the table, like he's very, you know, Dark Knight Returns, big brawly kind of looking guy. Uh, I love the suit so much more. He's got the, an actual voice changer, which kind of you don't get the the raspy bail growl. You get something that like makes sense. That's not too too stressful i'm sure on the guy uh i know the writing for like batfleck was not the greatest and there's some things about him i don't like but when i think of my ideal candidate i would be like okay give me you know uh bale's bruce wayne with like the aesthetic of batfleck and i just think of, like the batman versus superman versus the thugs like he's using gadgets actively in the fighting uh, he's going around and splicing computers and stuff like that to get information. I, I like that a lot more. You it's know, really I, good. I, I, I else is just kind of everyone else is kind of meh. <laughs> but, you know, I agree. Um, if if I was to break it up like that, like because that's how I always look at uh, Spider Man. If I was to break it up like that, I think. Yeah, Bruce, uh, Christian Bale's an excellent Bruce Wayne, and he's a good Batman, but Batfleck had, like like I said, he had the potential to be the best Batman. Yeah. His Bruce Wayne is, is fun. Like, he plays a good, like, drunk, kind of clueless guy, but he's, he doesn't really play, like, the rich side of Bruce Wayne super well. Cause, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's that, I think that's a good way to look at it, because it's just like the, um, it's just like the, the same thing we do with Spider-Man, or you think you do with Superman, like... Like Brandon Routh, for example, who was Superman in Superman Returns, I think he is a phenomenal Clark Kent. I think his Superman was just okay. Yeah. And then you have Henry Cavill, whose Superman is perfect, but his Clark Kent's a little too handsome. <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that that's all valid points. Um so, I think Bale's Batman is incredible as well, and you see it on full display, both parts of him. Like he, lucky enough, he had three movies to really flesh it out. Yeah, I, uh, he did an, an incredible job on, in both roles, really. Yeah, and I don't know why he started doing the rasp because he doesn't really do it in the first one. He just disguises his voice, and then in, in, in Dark Knight is when he starts doing the rasp. Yeah, and I don't really know why, but. Yeah, it's weird. And I, and I feel like... I know a lot of people don't agree, but I, th- I I think Pattinson might have the potential to be a, a Bruce Wayne more in line with Christian Bales, but then a Batman more in line with Batfleck. And I feel like he could... This could be the perfect melding that we need. Whether that's going to happen remains to be seen, but I feel like the potential is there, especially after the trailer and just being familiar with, with Pattinson as an actor. Yeah, I, uh, I've probably rewatched that new Batman trailer half a dozen times, and I watched uh, Pattinson's new movie with Tom Holland, the, the Devil You Know or something like that. Yeah. It's on Netflix. Yeah. And yeah, he's a great actor. He's he's a really really good actor. Oh I yeah. I'm concerned about his like when you see certain scenes from the trailer for the Batman movie, 
he seems really like small and emo-y. But that's I, I I personally like I know that's that's something I noticed too, and I personally think that is just because this is I think they said it's it's his first or second year as Batman when this yeah. starts, like he's Bruce Wayne even in like year one like the comic, he, when he came back. He didn't immediately jump into being the like the fake, the fake happy Bruce Wayne. He was just like he was a recluse, kind of yeah. thing. And I feel like that's what we're gonna see. And then he's gonna he's gonna adapt more into being that more like laissez-faire kind of fake rich Bruce Wayne after. Because I feel like he's gonna be emo and gothy in this first one. But that's because, like, he's he's still early on, and he's not learned to make that to make the mask, I guess. So, like, where he is Batman, and Bruce Wayne is his mask. He hasn't learned how to make the mask yet, so he's just Batman all the time. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, it does. But I mean, it speaks it speaks to uh, how amazing it actually really is for you know the Batman Begins movie. Is that he's it starts out with him being gone for I think was it seven years from one he actually left Gotham is what they said seven or eight years yeah something like that so in that time he was going through that whole process you know figuring out you know how to groom himself understand the criminal become Batman training with the League of Shadows that sort of thing and that when he comes back to Gotham he knows what he has to do and he's clearly like a smart guy that kind of, you know, thinks about how to present himself so that he can do the job that he needs to do. Right. So you kind of skip over that whole year one, I don't know who I really am thing. It's just kind of summed up in here's like a really cool sequence of me being gone for a while. And I come back and I'm ready to, you know, lay down some, some bat law. Right, but I could I could see why they feel they can't do that again. And yeah. and why they want to do something different, especially like post Gotham and post all like everything that's come out since in between. Like I feel like it makes sense that they're starting early and fresh and doing something different. Um, but yeah, I, I I feel like Pattinson he he's he's gonna do very well. Um, a lot of people like you, you like you had mentioned it that you're surprised like how good an actor he is, and I feel like the only time. The only people who I think who have this idea that he's not a good actor are the ones who only know him from Twilight. Mm. And if anyone hates Twilight like more than the people who like 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 you, <laughs> it's, it's him. Yeah, he he did it. He he did it to like an acceptable level to make his money and get done. Like he's like like he he wasn't out there trying to act up a storm. Like he like, he hates it. He hated while he hated it while he was making it. He hates it still. Like. <laughs> but I think like I he was do I don't think I ever really knew what he had done uh I think the first time we saw him was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I mean that's when I first saw him. Yeah, it was that was the second movie. So the second movie. Okay. So you see him in those movies. I liked him then. Like I thought he was cool. Yeah. But then obviously yeah, the whole Twilight stuff kicked on and then I was just like, man, <sighs> I figured I, I I knew he didn't get a whole lot of uh, experience from him in the Harry Potter movies. Like his roles were fairly limited. Yeah. Uh, 
and then you go into Twilight, and I didn't. I watched them. I had to. <laughs> but oh, I'm sure I made you watch one. I'm pretty sure. I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> and I know Jenna made me watch a couple as well. But uh, you know, I recognized in that movie, like those movies, when I did watch them, like it's not, it's not really his fault. Kind of just what they are. Yeah. But uh, and I would recommend I to kept anyone. Up with them yeah, and I'd recommend to anyone who just wants to see, like, if they're concerned about if whether he can play the Bruce Wayne side of things, there's two movies where I, I've not watched them, but I know for a fact that he plays kind of like a rich person. Uh, there's Cosmopolis, which is a 2012 movie where he plays a billionaire. Uh, and then there's a movie called Bellamy where he plays like a, like a philanthropist, like a, like a guy who just goes around sleeping with women. Like, so, like... He he can do it. Um, is is pretty much what I'm saying. But yeah, let's get back to the actual movie we were talking about. Uh, Batman Begins. I will talk about it first this time, I guess, just to switch it up. So I I love this movie uh, so much. I think I could easily watch it at any point. Like it's one of those rare movies that you can just throw on whenever, and you will in- still enjoy it and watch it all. Um, it has the potential to be my favorite of the trilogy, but. I think the last third of the film, like the last act, is not as good as the first two thirds. I feel like it kind of dropped off. It's fine, but it's not. It's just. It's just not as good as like the incredible first two parts. Like I think as soon as there's a reveal of like what's happening at Arkham with Crane, I just I, I lose a lot of interest in it. Like I feel like the movie gets a lot more predictable, and it's a little bit less enjoyable. Uh, there's still some good bits, like when he talks with Ra's al Ghul and, and the dialogue and stuff's still good, but yeah, for the most part, uh, from there, I just, I, I lose a little bit of interest, which is why it's not my favorite of the three. Um, I remember that I didn't know this movie actually existed until about one month before The Dark Knight came out. Oh, wow. Yeah, because... Uh, <laughs> as, as you know, and as, as people who know me would know, uh, we lived in Brazil... Uh, for three years and then when we moved back here we didn't have good internet we had dial-up because we lived out in like the boonies of Russia Gonish and I didn't really watch much TV like I watched Smallville and I watched the OC and then after I met you I started watching Supernatural and that's pretty much it like (laughs) so I didn't see trailers I never got movie news or anything like that Uh, the only movies I was usually aware of was Harry Potter and maybe Star Wars but uh as soon as I found out about it, I went and watched it. Like, uh, I was visiting my cousin in the late 2000s in Halifax, and he mentioned that he had gotten to go see an early screening of The Dark Knight. And I was like, what? What is this? Who, what? <laughs> um, and once I found out that there was these movies, uh, I learned that he had the DVD, and I watched it three times that weekend with him. Uh, and then shortly after that, I came back to Fredericton, and that's when we went to go see the Dark Knight in theaters on opening night. Uh, we went with Ben and Chris, um, and it was incredible. <laughs> but yeah, I think they handled this early Bruce Wayne super well. Uh, I think, as I said, Chris Chris Bale plays the role pretty much to perfection. Um, the only thing I would say is that he isn't like quite as broken and depressed, which is something you mentioned about the emo and cough thing, as I think like he would be and is in the comics. But I guess you made a good point of saying he goes on his trip and he kind of he kind of gets past it 
uh, in the flashbacks. But he does have a lot more uh, wit and humor, I suppose, than I than I would normally be expecting, uh, especially when he is talking to like Alfred and uh, Lucius. And that's okay because I think this kind of character works better in a movie setting. Uh, you like you make him more likable at first, and then he can be moody and unpleasant later, which we see like a bit in the next two movies. Um, the rest of the cast is also really great uh kieran hines i think he's a little bit too handsome to be jonathan crane scarecrow like as i've always pictured him but he's a good actor and he's really enjoyable in the role that i don't even care uh joffrey makes an appearance in this (laughs) (laughs) as a a little kid who wants some some he's a, a fan of batman um and if you've never seen these movies you don't know this but uh katie holmes plays the first of two rachel dawes uh, for some reason, something happened in between. I don't know if you know. Uh, happened between one and two, and she's recast in the second one by Maggie Gyllenhaal. I do not like Maggie Gyllenhaal's uh, performance or how she plays the character. I like. I just don't like Rachel Dawes in The Dark Knight. Um, but even after rewatching this one, I kind of realized that the character herself is sometimes just generally unlikable. Like she has these moments where she's just really mean for no reason. Like particularly to Bruce, yeah. um, but uh, like I guess there's a reason in the sense of the plot, but like not in like a realistic relationship sense. Like there's no reason that someone should be, be being this mean. Um, but she's also like super important to the story, so I like that because she kind of she's kind of the thing that shapes Bruce into being the Batman that we need, like or that Gotham needs. Uh, like there's a scene where she like slaps the shit out of him when he admits that he was going to go kill Joe Chill like in a flashback and then she's also the one who gives him like his essentially his ethos of like it's it's what you do that defines you not like who you are underneath uh, I said that in reverse but yeah um, I also enjoy that like before Bruce came back that she's like the only person willing to do something about Gotham like she's the only one out there yeah. trying to fix it uh which is really cool. Uh, Liam Neeson, we get as Ra's al Ghul. Uh, I say Ra's, some people say Ra's. It's you know, it's one of those things where there's been no clear answer as to how it's said, but he's super good. Um, I know that everyone who watched this movie, who was at all familiar with the comics, knew that he was Ra's like as soon as they saw him, because he had like the facial hair and he has the look and everything. But I think the twist is still fun. Uh, especially when they use the name of Ducard for like his alias, because Ducard, again, if you're someone who's read the comics a lot, Ducard is a real teacher of Bruce's. Like he, uh, I think he taught him martial arts, and he also taught him how to be like a pickpocket or something like that in the comics. So like he's a real character. So I I liked it that for setting up the tw- this twist, they used a real character to maybe throw people off who thought that, like who might have thought the twist was coming. They're like, oh, well, Ducard is a real person, so maybe it's not this. But, um, yeah. Why they made him white is an, is an interesting question, but I guess they decided to make him a mercenary, like who started the league after some bad stuff happened to him, rather than a 600- or 800-year-old Asian man who uses, like, the Lazarus Pit to keep himself alive. Uh, that old guy from the start. Kind of <laughs> but he was a, he was a fake. <laughs> It's, you never know. Yeah, it's 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 a weird choice, uh, and it's often overlooked, and I overlook it too, just because of how well like Liam Neeson does in the role. 
But like we also see it in Arrow, uh, but in Arrow they explained it in a different way, where they're like in Arrow, uh, Rachel Ghul's a title that is handed down. So like the initial Ra's al Ghul, see, even I say it different sometimes, the, the initial uh, Raish would have probably been a 600-year-old Asian man, but it was taken over by a white Australian. But yeah. <laughs> uh, he's just so good that like it's hard to care. <laughs> And uh, despite the weak third act, I think this is such a, like, a strong start to the series. And it's a very, very good like introductory film for a hero. Like It's up there, in my opinion, with like Iron Man 1 in like the, the tiers of like an introduction. Mm. But that's, yeah, that. yeah, that's pretty much all I had on this movie. Uh, so pass it on to you. <laughs> so Batman Begins, for me, is actually a very interesting kind of... Uh, it holds like some special significance to me for a lot of different reasons like background on me is i like my dad was huge into batman you know i didn't really uh like i recognized that he was a batman fan over the years like he could draw a really cool batman uh like in full costume i think he usually modeled it after like michael keaton's batman like, i think that for him was his because obviously that was the first like cinematic batman that you kind of really got right uh, but like I remember growing up and I'd have you know Batman the animated series I was such a huge fan of that uh, I like it or not like I ended up watching like the old Batman movies 89 Batman Returns which I thought was so cool like dark and cool uh, then you get like you know your, your other Batman movies and given my age I liked the Schumacher Batman. <laughs> hey, Batman! Batman Forever is not bad. Batman Forever Robin is not Duan bad. Robin doing laundry was like the coolest thing ever, wasn't it? Remember, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember watching him like spinning his towels around and with like, the oh, and the socks. So cool. <laughs> oh yeah, I did that whole thing. I remember one day, like I was in the laundry room, like flipping around my laundry, like oh, I'm so cool. Anyway, <laughs> I uh, so I grew up with a lot of like, a lot of Batman influence in my life. And then 2005, we had this movie come out, and it was very different than you know, what we had just previously gotten from the Schumacher movies. And I, all I remember is like how excited my dad was in terms of like you got this really cool Batman, you got a sick Batmobile, you got like a really dark and real story with a great cast. And I remember watching this is the coolest thing ever too. And uh, like in 2006, he died, and I found like a whole bunch of uh, Batman comics and books, and uh, he had this Batman thing for Batman Begins. And it was basically like a like the making of kind of thing for the movie. They right. talked about like decisions for why they picked this Batmobile their choices for the actors, costume designs, and all that sort of stuff. It was so, so cool. I'm like, oh, man, like, he really loved this stuff, and I really loved this stuff. And unfortunately, he didn't get to see you know, the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. But really, Batman, for, for, for me, uh, Batman Begins, I mean, sorry, it was really significant because it was a return to form for uh, a lot of, like, a, the classic well, classic-ish Batman where you have this detective who's hard, 
and he's not like the campy Schumacher one. It's similar to like the Batman one we were talking about earlier. You come in, you see this guy trying to figure out he is, what his role is, and how he's going to actually do it. And he's a crazy awesome actor. Yeah. Uh, after, you know, my dad died, I look back on Batman Begins with a lot more fondness because of it. this was like his last Batman. And, uh, you know, for me, that makes it that much more significant looking at what we got in terms of the story. You know, you have Bruce. Obviously, he, it's when it starts out, you see, you know, the storyline of him as a kid getting traumatized by the bats. It quickly is going back and forth between, you know, him training with Liam Neeson's uh, Raza Ghoul to his storyline stuff. And that was really nice that you're not committing a 30 minute block directly to younger Bruce. Yeah, it was refreshing. It's, yeah, you get bits and pieces that are kind of like tied in with some sort of significant thing like he wakes up and it's a nightmare and that's how he remembers his parents he's in prison fighting criminals later you know he uh, can't remember what happens he gets knocked down by uh, Ra's al Ghul somewhere and he has like another flashback of some other scene so like it's really cool that you're not committing this huge amount of time to a depressing intro that you've seen vaguely from other movies there's always some sort of significant uh, message behind each piece of uh, previous story that you're getting, which is really cool. Yeah, like the uh, I, I think the one you're talking about is uh, when when they give him the uh, the flower for the first time, mm. and he goes back into a flashback. Like he, his greatest fear is not like something appearing in front of him. It's it's like a, a like having to relive that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think this one, and you were touching on it, where you said the first two thirds were really, really stand up, and the last third is, you know, when Crane kind of comes in, you realize that the League of Shadows is back. You know, it becomes a little bit more predictable. I think that's kind of back to why I really like Batman Year One. It's because you don't get that yeah. predictable story in a lot of ways. Uh, for me, that last. I mean, it's got to be a cinematic movie, unfortunately, so it has to have that sort of cinematic, exciting ending to it. So I can definitely forgive it because, you know, Ra's al Ghul is in a lot of ways one of my favorite Batman characters. And seeing him, you know, on screen is not just another Joker movie or something silly like that. It's a cool guy that's very similar to Batman in a lot of ways is really refreshing to see. It's not some campy bad guy. Uh, even if his plans are cliche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking about it today. Like, I wanted to bring it up to you. Something that just popped into my head was like, could you imagine if, like, just, I want to kind of see them do a story. Uh, even if it's a, a mini, a mini, like, arc, like Three Jokers was, where it's a Batman who's just, he's so committed to this that he, just uses a like he has a Lazarus pit and he's just Batman until he's done like until he feels like it's over mm. so you just get to see him over the years as he becomes like he essentially becomes Ra's al Ghul just not one one who's not killing people like I feel like that would be really neat but didn't yeah. they do 
I mean, I might be misremembering here, but I feel like there was a Batman animated series or Batman Beyond episode where they kind of touch about that idea. Like, I think Raish actually suggested to him, like, hey, you can use this and keep doing it. Like, you can let me... I think it was when Raish was trying to, like, take over his body kind of thing. So yeah. he had his own yeah, idea. That was an episode. Anyway. But, like, he essentially offered the same idea. Like, you can still do crime fighting. Like, you're an old man now. You can kind of keep the fight going. You don't have to... It doesn't have to be over for you. There's still more work to do. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a really cool premise. I don't think they'll ever do it. <laughs> no, I, I don't think they will either. But, yeah, that you're right. That was an episode in Batman Beyond because... Um, if I remember correctly, Raish, didn't he, like, possess Talia? He took over Talia. It was very weird. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they kind of do it with Damien. Uh, so Damien in, in the f- the future, like, verse where he's Batman, he made a deal with the devil. So he's immortal. So, he like, he's always, like, his, his thing is, like, he's always going to be Batman. I think he like yeah, sold he sold his soul or something. That would be I haven't read it. Like I, I have the the copy, but like that's not Batman six sixty six, is it? Well, it, it's it's that so it's it, he that it's the Batman from six sixty six, but it's at, like it, it you follow him after. Oh okay. So it's like um, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, so six sixty six seven hundred, and then there's um. Superman, Batman, number seventy-five. So it's like there's like there's a lot of issues where you see him. This Batman later, and uh, as I understand, he made a deal with the devil, um, and he's like immortal and stuff, which is cool. The, uh, you know, when I look like I'm still, <laughs> I don't even know if you can hear that. God, I hope not. Yeah, I I can hear it sometimes, but it, like it fades in and out. <laughs> but uh, you know. Yeah, I'm still, obviously, I'm watching Batman Begins right now, and, you know, I I love this movie so much, and it's, I keep thinking, you know, I was going to, I wanted to talk to you about it, maybe during this, or maybe it'll have to wait for another time, but, like, um, I really appreciate these these Batman stories where it's, it's there's not a whole lot of that over-the-top mass world-ending type stuff like in this movie there's a little bit in the final act where obviously Liam needs to like blow up the city kind of but there's so much more personal and metaphorical stuff in Batman Begins that I deeply deeply appreciate and that's something I don't feel like we get enough of I don't know how you feel like if you feel the same way or not but because of how much more uh like metaphors there are in this movie how many more like you see so much more personal struggle with him like in this one and right. what motivates him I f- that's such it's so entertaining well that, I, I uh, don't want to say that people are dumb or getting dumber because you know that's mean but I think people are getting dumber because <laughs> you look at a movie like like Batman v Superman when they try to do that in Batman v Superman people complained hmm like so, like the Martha thing, the Martha thing was done as an attempt to do that. There's there's a very obvious and prevalent, like metaphor and meaning to that Martha scene, that mass majority of the people don't see because they just assume it's hey, our moms have the same name. <laughs> like, 
Like maybe I, I guess maybe they didn't do a good enough job with it, but I feel like it just doesn't work as well anymore because too many I, people don't I get would it. Agree to that. Um, and I'll compare it to Game of Thrones season seven. I think like, there's obviously a lot of conflict with how that season went with that show, hmm. and I think that if they had the time and they fleshed it out better, then it would have not been a big deal. But because of how rushed things seemed and how they paced things out, that it kind of was just like, well, what the heck was all this? With Batman v Superman, you have a lot going on. Like, you have literally a whole Batman movie mixed in with a whole Superman movie with a really weird Lex and... <laughs> mixed in with a whole other movie, yeah. <laughs> a whole lot going on. And then in the middle of all of this, you have... We're supposed to fight but it's not like it was in The Dark Knight Returns. There's not, like... Um, like, you can kind of understand why there's the conflict in those comics versus this movie, where it seems like they're just... Like, Batman's reasoning for that fight makes sense. Barely. Superman's not, <laughs> I find not so much. Like, he kind of is like, yeah, I'm gonna kill your mom. But, like... I feel like the the reasons for them to even be in conflict with each other wasn't as good as it could have been. Yeah. And then the whole Martha thing was just like... <laughs> it didn't seem like... It, I feel like maybe I need to rewatch it again, but I feel like it wasn't set up very well. It was but, just like, Martha. Well, even... Like, I haven't watched it in a long time, so I might be missing stuff, but there, there's always things that stick out to me about it. So they, they make a point of showing you um, her name... Martha Wayne's name a few times on the gravestone and on the tomb and stuff and then they show you the flashback of him dying so you can see Bruce's guilt and so that you can see the last thing his father says after he died trying to save her was Martha and then you see Batman has now become this kind of brute killer who he, he became the, the person who killed his who killed his parents and so that's the whole point when, when he says when Superman is dying and instead of trying to save himself he just says save Martha mm. he sees Superman like he's like oh shit Superman's my dad and I'm the guy that killed my dad right now like that's what I'm doing <laughs> and I feel like yeah. and I feel like just it's set up like it's there and I just think a lot of people don't maybe it's just because the movie's too long or maybe they didn't do a good job and I'm just reading into it too much, but it's there. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll admit that there's breadcrumbs to it that being there. But, I mean, think of it this way. I'm pretty sure when they get into that fight, he's pretty... Uh, it's, he, he knows who Clark Kent is, you know? I don't, I don't, I don't think he does. I'm pretty sure he does. I don't think he knows who Clark Kent is yet. I'll have to rewatch it. I was pretty sure, like, he knew. Like, uh... Like, being Martha even matter you would have known that as soon as you knew but he didn't that's why he said who's like he's like who's Martha why did you say that name and it's uh, Lois tells him that it's his mom's name hmm. like uh, uh, Clark knows that Batman is Bruce but uh, Bruce doesn't know that Clark's Batman see how would that even make sense how would Superman because he 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 used his powers and he heard him talking to Alfred uh, with a uh, at the party, I guess. and then he just looked through his mask. <laughs> but 
obviously when they're having that same conversation, you get the sense that Bruce knows who Clark is too. Because at that meeting, it's like, that's not very, you know, like that whole conversation, I don't, I don't feel like that's how Bruce would talk to somebody if he didn't know who he was in the background. But that, I, I like, I, I get, again, I could be wrong, but I don't think that's, I don't, I think he doesn't know. And I think that's his problem. Like he assumes that he knows who this guy is, because like you hear him talk about it all the time, where he's like, "I've been doing this for twenty something years," and like how many yeah. times, like how many times have I seen this exact same person doing this exact same thing? Like he doesn't. I don't think he knows. I think he thinks he knows, so he's like, "I have to go kill this guy." Yeah, maybe. But I mean, it, it's either way. Like it speaks to the fact that, you know there's a lot going on with that movie and a lot of those kind of uh, important speeches and uh, motivations for characters are kind of wishy-washy but like with Batman Begins I did, I never get the sense of that you know Batman's motivation for never using a gun you get that like he one a gun killed his parents two he was going to use a gun and then Rachel's like your father would be ashamed that you even thinking about doing this he throws it away I hear the score <laughs> <laughs> so good <laughs> um, every single thing throughout the whole movie even if like, uh, like he, at times he's a little bit like more witty than you'd expect him maybe to be uh, or more funny but like the whole time everything makes sense all of his motivations make sense you actually see a very well established like introduction of him and growth all the way through and a lot of it like you said comes from Rachel Dawes yeah she really motivated so much for him which is really cool um, I do think she was a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for what she was supposed to do she definitely got the job done no I agree so yeah any any final thoughts on this one before we hop over to the last movie uh no, not really. It's a standout. It's my favorite Batman movie, I think, of all time. Really? Okay. So, uh, it's it's a bit... So, yeah, my, I guess my final thoughts is, like, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's up there as one of my favorites, and it's it had the potential to be my favorite of the trilogy. I think The Dark Knight just beats it out, and it's more so just because of Heath Ledger's performance rather than anything else. Uh, yeah. Mainly because there's a lot of things that detract from that movie. Like once you take off like the the blinders, uh, like like Maggie Gyllenhaal is just annoying throughout the whole movie. She's like she's a pain. The stuff, the the third act also in The Dark Knight is not great. Like it 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 also kind of dips. Um, mostly when Two Face comes into it, like it's it's not the best. <laughs> but this next movie is quite possibly my favorite. Uh, Batman movie of all time which is funny because it's an animated one uh, but Batman Under the Red Hood uh, this movie came out in 2010 it's uh, based on obviously on the Under the Hood story arc by Judd Winnick which saw the return of Jason Todd as the Red Hood uh, for those who don't know because I know most people don't most people don't even know that there's more than one Robin uh Jason Todd was the second Robin of Batman uh, after Dick Grayson. Uh, Dick left. I don't know if he'd become Nightwing already and then Batman got a new Robin or if he had just left. But he he left and Jason came in. And he was not very popular. 
because early on he was essentially just a redheaded copy of Dick, um, and it, his they they fixed his origin, I think in like nineteen eighty five or nineteen eighty six, uh, but yeah he was he wasn't popular so in DC in DC in nineteen eighty eight DC made a poll to determine uh, whether Jason lived or died, and the vote ultimately was for Jason to die and we got that death in the story arc of Death in the Family um, it was later revealed that the, the vote was kind of rigged uh, someone had set up their computer to call every few minutes and vote for Jason to die and they they estimate that that had made up that, that had counted for hundreds of thousands of votes they're not sure exactly how much or if they are they didn't report it but it likely skewed it but anyways it happened uh, Jason gets killed in the comics by the Joker, who uh, beats him to death with a crowbar, pretty much, and then he blows up the building that he's in, and he kills him. <laughs> and there's two different versions of, of how he comes back to life. Uh, the first is kind of stupid, and in that one, it's uh, there's a character called Superboy Prime. So Superboy Prime is a version of Superman from a different Earth. Uh, not Superboy, but Superman. And... Uh, he was, became a bad guy and uh, during like Crisis on Infinite Earths and stuff and he, they had to they locked him into like this dimensional prison or something anyway uh, he punched a hole out of the prison and it caused like a rip in the space time continuum and all that shit and something happened and it caused changes in the world one of which was Jason Todd uh, coming back to life so he woke up in his grave and he like dug himself out and stuff uh, the other more accepted one is the one we see in this movie, is that Jason was uh, revived with the Lazarus Pit by Talia al Ghul, or in, and in the movie, uh, Raish does it. And you get to see most of his backstory in the, the comic series Red Hood, The Lost Days, where you see him essentially becoming a killer, and he's, like, he's learning how to be the Red Hood, and uh, we find out in that that not only did Bruce not kill the Joker after the Joker killed him, but that also Bruce had replaced him as Robin. Uh, he got a new Robin, Tim Drake. So this leads him to his plan to being the Red Hood in the comics. Um, this movie does it a bit differently in that Tim Drake is not at all present. Uh, after Jason died in this movie, Bruce didn't get a new Robin. Um, also... Barbara Gordon doesn't seem to exist because uh, what the Joker did to Barbara is a big part of Jason's argument in the comics and then if I remember correctly she's never mentioned in this movie at all there's a throwaway line is there? okay yeah it's just like a uh, you know all the people he's crippled oh okay yeah that might have been okay to her okay but yeah so uh, the story is pretty much the same though for the most part like in its beats um but yeah, this movie's uh, cast is for the most part really good. Um, Jensen Ackles of Supernatural fame uh, plays Jason Todd beautifully. Matt would know, but if you've ever watched Supernatural, you know he has like gruff, aggressive sadness down pat. <laughs> um, Neil Patrick Harris is in it briefly as Dick Grayson slash Nightwing. And he's uh, enjoyable and witty. And then we got... It Bert- actually blew my mind. Um, I can't remember. I saw like I was I was just watching this like two days ago, and I saw Neil Patrick Harris's name come across like the intro. I'm like, what? <laughs> NPH is. I, I literally spent the first fifteen minutes. I'm like, 
who is he? Like, I don't, I can't hear his voice. And it wasn't until later, I'm like, holy smokes, Nightwing was NPH, he killed it. <laughs> I knew it was him right away. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's obviously I, Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> I didn't hear it at all. I was just like, I was just waiting to hear, uh, what's his name from uh, How I Met Your Mother. I was just like waiting for a random, like, legendary or something thrown in there. <laughs> yeah, but he's only, he's not in it very much. He's in it for like... He's really- 15 minutes or so. But uh, Bruce Ge- Bruce Greenwood plays Batman, who I don't really know from much stuff. Um, I only know him from the Star Trek movies, the new ones. He plays Captain Pike. Uh, he's not my favorite of, like, the voice Batmans. He's definitely not the worst, though. He's, like, serviceable, and, like, he's particularly good when, like, he's angry. I don't know how you feel about him. Uh really hard to say because for me anytime I watch it's 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 kind of depressing but like anytime I watch any sort of animated Batman anything it's gotta be Kevin Conroy <laughs> anyone else I'm just like, I don't care yeah. everyone stop talking um, that's kind of like I mean for what he was he I thought he did a well enough job yeah there are certain times I actually have um, like obviously I never recognized Neil Patrick Harris's voice as Nightwing I thought he was I thought he was good I I enjoyed his charm that he brought to it Batman uh, well obviously it's not my favorite voice actor for the role I mean obviously Kevin Conroy can't do everything and he did a good enough job for what it was yeah Jensen Ackles and you're not gonna like me saying it I I have this problem when I watch this movie and I hear his voice and I'm not a fan Ow. I'm not a fan I don't know why like it's weird I I listen to him and I'm like his voice I hear obviously I hear Dean Winchester all I hear <laughs> when I'm watching this movie and I'm like looking at the Red Hood model like the animated model there and I'm like his voice doesn't quite fit with what I should be seeing here and it's weird. It's a weird thing that's really disconnects with me. I think for what he's given to do, I think he does a good job. No different than like the like than Batman. But it's just really off putting for me. I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> I don't know if it's all because of my time watching Supernatural and just hearing Dean Winchester's voice. Or if it's literally an animation problem. Like his voice is too strong for what I think that character should sound like it's weird and I know it's not the best answer from me for you <laughs> no that's fine like uh, may, like I was just while you say that I was thinking maybe it's just because I've seen him in more stuff like I've I watched like I, I knew it was him in Smallville before I knew him as Dean like yeah, I I watched him in Dark Angel before I knew him as Dean like I remember seeing him in Dawson's Creek like in the most part of my brain, he is Dean, but, like, I also know that Jensen Ackles, when he talks normally, he doesn't sound like Dean. He sounds more like Jason Todd, like his, how his voice sounds in this. Like his, mm. he, he gruffs his voice up, especially in the later seasons of Supernatural, for Dean. Like, he doesn't really talk like that. Well, uh, and, I mean, here's the thing, too, is, like, I don't know if... Like, I haven't watched Supernatural. Like, I haven't really, like, been actively keeping up with it in a while. Like, I just tune into certain things from time to time. So I can't even really say that 
it's specific to the fact that I, all I see and hear is Dean Winchester, right? Like, I, I almost feel like that's part of it. Like, but look, look at him. It. Look at this picture I just sent you. Look at him. <laughs> on Discord. Uh, no, on Discord. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see here. He looks hey, so good. I know. He looks so great. <laughs> like, he does look good, but I think it's got to be the model. Like, the animation or something just doesn't suit his voice, I think. But, I mean, I'm not going to deny. I think he does a good job. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. For what he's supposed to do, right? Because that is one of the things that uh, Jensen Ackles has always done a good job is uh, delivering emotional stuff. And obviously, Jason Todd in this movie has a lot of emotional things to say. So he's a great choice in that regard. I just think it maybe is more of an animation or some subconscious mental thing for me. But other than that, I thought the voice acting was really good. Yeah, fair enough. I uh, was a little off. Yeah, that's who I was supposed to mention. Uh, John DiMaggio. Oh, I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> oh, nope. Okay, it went away. Did it go away? All right. John DiMaggio plays the Joker. Uh, I think he has a great Joker laugh, but that's about it. I don't like his voice for the Joker. I think it's too deep. And it's not to say like he's a bad actor. So I guess it's kind of like what you were saying for, for Jensen. is I just don't think he's a good fit for the role like it, he doesn't fit how I've always viewed the Joker and even how the Joker model looks it just doesn't they don't mesh like the only thing that really works for me with the Joker is the laugh and the rest of it is like yeah it, it kind of uh, like obviously we've more recently been looking at the three Jokers and you get some very different uh, portrayals of the character in that in that storyline and I feel like his like John DiMaggio's voice as Joker matches a very criminal focused Joker a more serious kind of character right but the animation and design for the one in Under the Red Hood he's kind of like the typical Joker that we've had over the last few years he's still kind of like insane he's kind of like little bit more goofy throwing out the jokes yeah but if they went like a very serious criminal type joker his voice would have been perfect for it yeah especially like even in the dialogue like i think all they had to do was change the dialogue and make him a little bit more sinister and he would have fit perfect but they went for the the clown hey you gotta get that dark knight clown insanity in there otherwise it doesn't count but didn't this movie come i'm trying to remember when the dark knight actually came out well, Under the Red Hood came out in 2010, and I'm pretty sure... 2008 for The uh, Dark Knight, okay. Yeah. Because I was going to say Under the Red Hood, like, I wonder when they began production, though, because animated movies take a long time. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine. Actually, it probably says it on their uh, IMBD or Wikipedia page. I'm not seeing but it on Wikipedia. I'm sure the voice work wouldn't have taken too long. No, but I mean, they probably would have written the script and animated it and stuff. Oh, okay. When did it begin um, production? Not the release date. <laughs> anyway, uh, the only other really, like, main or other roles that, like, come up is um, Jason Isaacs, who I know as Lucius Malfoy. Uh, so cool. Plays Rachel Ghoul. <laughs> He's quite good. He's also not in it a lot. Um... But yeah, the rest of the cast doesn't really matter because they don't really do much of anything. 
No, I I appreciated uh, Jason Isaacson's his race. I thought it was really cool. You know, he's he definitely has that kind of uh, snarly, sophisticated sound to him. And I really appreciate that. Like you get, like I saw it a lot more in obviously the Harry Potter where you see, you know, that kind of pedigree that he kind of displays. But then you can see, you know, ultimately still a. A bit of a bad guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh in this movie I, I i appreciated he kind of still brings that he seems more an ally i find in this movie because clearly he talks about how once the mishap with jason happened he kind of was just like okay i screwed up i'm not gonna do this ever again which i found didn't even make sense anyway like you're 600 years old you've been doing this for how long yeah just because what did die you're just like oh can't mess with batman anymore i made a boo-boo yeah it's weird uh which is why like i always found it made more sense when talia was the one who brought him back because she like she's like i see how much pain my beloved is in i'm gonna like return his son to him like kind of thing yeah and then with the Raish doing it because out of guilt, like doesn't really make sense. Like I could see him bringing him back, out of a weird sense of obligation, but not like the kind of like kowtowing to Batman after it. It seemed weird. Yeah, it, it it was a little odd, but I mean, I appreciated him, you know, being in there. It's, uh, you know, this movie and Batman Begins have. It's actually a really funny that we picked these movies, um, but the fact that he's in both of them really kind of helps me be like yeah Raish is probably one of the cooler Batman characters he's not super gimmicky he's just a bad guy for the most part like he's pretty cool and I can't wait to get that one comic in about him oh I'm excited yeah he, well he's kind of like like you were talking about it but he's kind of like uh, I guess the, the more apt thing to say would be Bruce's Bruce could have easily have become Rachel Ghoul. Like he could have easily become that kind of person. And it was his own like convictions that made him not a killer. Well, yeah, that's what you see in Batman Begins. Is exactly, yeah. Ross is trying to push him. He's like, hey, you gotta. I know what you want. You want vengeance. Go get revenge and take out the criminals. He's like, no, I can't do that. Yeah, and it's like we learn. We learn in this movie, and we learn in. Um, if you read the comics, just any of the comics with Jason Todd, you you learn that that's part of why Batman took him in, is because he saw like if I leave this kid, he's going to become like a Rachel Ghoul. He's going to become like a Joker, or like a like an Ace like an Azrael. Like he's going to become a problem. So I'm going to take him and I'm going to try to make take all those problem things and and point him towards being good, like point it towards a good cause. I've always had a problem with that thought though. Because realistically, if he just left him on the streets, he would have just at worst been like a thug, you know. Well, maybe like some people though. Some people you see that they have like it's just like uh, it's why like Roz gives Bruce the respect because he sees it in him. He sees the conviction, and he knows that if he if he takes this guy, or even like if it like he knows that this guy could be something, and I feel like it's kind of the same thing with with uh, with Jason. Well definitely batman training jason to become you know what he was is like he armed him he trained him he gave him everything he needed to either be 
one of the best Robins or one of the worst villains. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's kind of one of the things that this movie highlighted that I, and I saw it again when I was reading the three jokers. I'm not too sure, uh, how other stories kind of handle him as a character. I'm getting really tired of seeing anything with the red hood and Batman being like, Oh, you abandoned me or didn't try hard enough or whatever. This is your fault. And you didn't, you know, take out the Joker. It's just, I find like that every time I see something with the red hood, Batman like a conversation it somehow circles back to that sort of thing it usually does yeah, and it's mostly because it, yeah it's it's, exhausting. <laughs> it's usually because like they've got a lot of issues and it, it, it often circles back to that because that like that never gets resolved like as you can see at the end of this movie it doesn't get resolved like it, it's never been resolved but uh, it comes up a lot less after um, so after battle for the cowl uh Bruce kind of leaves a message for Jason and I don't remember what it says and I don't even remember if we see it because like in Battle for the Cal Bruce Wayne has, has quote unquote died um, and he like he left his will and he has messages for all of the, the boys and Jason has one and after that like they, they, they kind of seem to have moved on from it a lot mm. but yeah um, so this movie I did a little bit differently because I feel like it's easier to talk about where like it, it it's a it's a sh- it's a bit of a shorter one and I feel like it's easier to talk about it by going through the plot like the other ones like I felt like you could just talk about main things but this one like I felt at least for me it was easier for me to talk about the plot and then just mention things as I talked about the plot so I'm going to kind of do that and then if you ever want to I'll I'll leave some times if you want to chime in at a specific plot point or we can uh once I'm done talking about it, we can we can get your thoughts if you'd rather do it that way too. Yeah. Okay. I'll take your lead. All right. So in this movie, it uh, it kind of starts with Jason Todd's death. We get to see him die, and then and then, you know that's pretty aggressive. <laughs> but then the Red Hood appears a few years later, and he's taking over the drug trade in Gotham, and he's trying to start a war with the Black Mask. Uh, Batman and Nightwing get involved, and when they learn about the Red Hood, they assume it's the Joker. Uh, because as many people who are familiar with the comics will know, the Joker's criminal identity before he became the Joker was the Red Hood. It was his, like, alias. Uh, the movie likes to play, like, a mystery of who is the Red Hood, but we all know who it is watching it because they make it super obvious. Like, from the very beginning, you know that it's Jason. And that's one of the flaws I find with the movie. See, I, I, don't, I don't find it a flaw, because I, I feel like, even though it's obvious... And even though for most of the movie, like, Batman knows, he just doesn't want to believe it, it's... I, I like that the suspense of it is not who is this guy, it's the suspense of when is it going to be confirmed, and when will Batman admit it, kind of thing. Like, I feel like that's the mystery, which I liked. Because I feel like they, they don't try to paint it as a mystery of who he is, it just feels like that at times, but it's, a mis- it's more of a mystery of when is this going to be revealed, kind of thing. At least to me. Yeah, like I, I would have personally have appreciated if, you know, that whole introduction where they show like the death of Jason, was cut, and then put somewhere else in the movie. Like maybe once, you actually found like Bruce deduces this is Jason. Like after they fight like those assassin, those four assassins or whatever. Like it would have been really cool if there was a, a sequence where they're like, hey. 
yeah, you're right. You found it out. I'm Jason. Here's what happened. Maybe even when Roz, like he was figuring it out with Roz Ogle, like here's what happened. You know what I mean? But like where they start with the death of Jason, it's so obvious from that point onward. And you're just like, okay, can you just hurry this up and get to the point where you figure it out so we can go to the next thing? It would have been cool if from I was following the kind of investigation too, especially for someone that has no idea what they're watching. Right. It, it would have been more impressive. Like, holy smokes, that guy, what? I don't get it. But I, th- I think to play like the opposite side of that, I, I don't think anyone who's watching these DC Universe like animated movies is not someone who already knows. Like I'm oh. like like the only people who might be watching this who don't know is like like Jenna if you make her watch it <laughs> that kind of thing and she probably doesn't care. No, she was watching it with me the other night and she was on her phone the whole time. Well, exactly, but I, I do think I do think there are points where they could have moved it. Um, yeah, like I I think if they would have started with the Red Hood like assemble like how it starts with the Red Hood and the drugs and stuff, and then maybe just a scene of Batman. Like before they go to do something, he has he wakes up from a nightmare, and the nightmare was this like that flashback scene. But I also think as soon as they started showing flashbacks, uh, and showing like Robin like as a kid and stuff, like it it would have become obvious then. Like I don't think there's any point where it never would have been obvious because like even in the comic book run, like I feel like at that point it, it was still obvious. Like, people were like, we know it's Jason. We're just waiting for the confirmation that it's Jason and how it's Jason. Yeah. And it's, I feel like that's what this movie does, too. I will say, though, like, regardless of, uh, of that, you know, questionable uh, delivery of how you find out who's the Red Hood, I thought the pacing was amazing. Mm. Honestly. Yeah, well, like I think, like, especially too, the movie is good, but as soon as we get to the part, um, and if you remember when the, when he when they try to catch him, and there's the thing with the train, and then Batman goes back later to listen to it, and he's like, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what he says, but he says something, then he says Bruce. <laughs> yeah, you've never, you've never, you haven't lost, lost you, your touch. Yeah, Bruce. you haven't lost your touch, Bruce. And I love that because, like, you, you just—it's him slowly like unraveling this message, and the last yeah. bit that he unravels is Bruce. <laughs> it's like, oh, yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Jason says he's doing this because uh, he realized that being part of the crime, like running it and making sure everything's going the way that it's supposed to, is kind of the only way to be the Batman that Gotham needs because like his reasoning is that you'll never be able to get rid of the crime but if you run it and you make sure like his thing is like no drugs to kids and no drugs at schools and stuff like if he has these rules and he's in charge and he stops anyone who steps out of line that's how he saves Gotham yeah I don't know if that's like if that was a real reason or something he made up because then we later learn that he started the war with the Black Mask so that the Black Mask would be desperate enough to deal with him to break the Joker out of Arkham Asylum so that the Joker could kill the Red Hood uh, as Jason knew he couldn't get easily to the Joker like in Arkham even though it seems really easy to escape from there but anyway um, yeah I was going to say like if he really wanted to do 
a couple of thugs got in there to break him out. I'm sure Jason probably could have done it. <laughs> right. So I, I feel like it's a bit, a bit, like a bit of both. Like I feel like there's some truth to the first thing he said, but like that the the Joker was obviously his his first plan. There. What do you What do you think on that one? I think it's probably like you said. It's a little bit of both. Uh, I think ultimately the big point is you know why won't you do this thing why won't you take out the joker that's doing all of these awful things and him managing the crime and his justification being like look you can't just eliminate crime you have to control it you have to do certain things that you're not doing now but it will ultimately be better and i think that that same sort of logic is applying to the joker and he's just like look if you just kill this guy everything will be a lot better a lot easier to manage like it's not going to be as big of a deal so i think he shares the same logic between the two points uh he ultimately sees things differently than batman batman is very strict and narrow in his uh rules in a lot of ways like he there's only there's certain things he will and won't do uh and i mean clearly if he did those things there'd be a lot less batman comic books but like Jason has, I think, the right idea for both. And he's trying to push Batman that way. And uh, I think that that's... They're shared, I guess, to answer your point. Yeah. I think it's a shared logic there. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Uh, but yeah, so once so once the Black Mask uh, breaks Joker out of prison, Jason pretty much just takes him. <laughs> and he... Uh, he beats him with a crowbar for a bit in return, gets some nice little vengeance, uh, and he lures Batman to Crime Alley for like their final confrontation, which I think is really good. Uh, my only nitpick about it, and it's one of my least favorite parts of the movie, because it's, it's it's but it's a really small thing, so it's weird. Um, when Jason takes off the Red Hood mask, finally, he's wearing a Robin a Robin Domino mask under it yeah. for some reason, and I really don't know why. Like, they did that in the comic, so when he takes it off in the comic, he's also wearing that. But in the comic, it's supposed to be a dig at Batman, because he had been leaving his domino mask places to, like, taunt him during the mystery. Like, there's a, there's one point, if I remember correctly, where he leaves it in the passenger seat of the Batmobile. And, like, Bruce is like, what the heck? Like, because he knows that Tim uses a different mask, so he knows it's not Tim's. Like, so he's like, why? Who Who put this here? But anyways, it's it's weird that it's there. I feel like it was a weird inclusion, and it just... I'm guessing it was also probably for sake of animation, because it's easier to draw a domino mask than it is to draw most of a face. But I could see that. I think it would have uh, it would have been really beneficial. They showed that one scene when they brought Jason back to life. He's like ripping off the bandages. His face looks really deformed and scarred to some extent. They should have just had that underneath the mask. Where he had, like, the damage. Yeah. Like, his face was all, like, scarred up on one side and, like, ripply looking. It would have been cool. It's like, as soon as he took off the mask, like, yeah, there wasn't a domino mask there. It was like, hey, here's my scarred, broken face that happened when you failed me. I yeah. have to live with this. But I think the uh, the Lazarus Pit, like, like the reason for that going away, I think, is just because the Lazarus Pit finished healing him. I mean, that's one answer, I guess. But yeah, I agree. My kitty just came and sat with me. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, uh, Jason says that he did all this. He prepared all this to make Bruce choose. 
because uh, he couldn't believe that after everything the Joker had done, killing all these people, and then you mentioned the line about crippling, and then uh, the fact that he killed Jason, and he says the line that you that he took me from you, uh, which I felt was like really powerful because Bruce always seems to call Jason a soldier, but like for Jason, like Bruce was his dad, like so it was. Anyways, it was emotional. <laughs> And he gives Batman a gun, and he says, essentially, you kill me or I kill him, him being the Joker. Uh, it's the exact same thing we see in Daredevil Season 2, Episode 3, with the Punisher. The Punisher does the exact same thing, where he's like, you shoot me or I'm going to shoot this random guy. <laughs> uh, Bruce, of course, does not take well to this ultimatum, and he ultimately chooses neither. And uh, so Jason like kind of blows up the building, and he gets away. And Batman uh, takes Joker back into custody. In my opinion, it's a fairly unsatisfying ending to an incredible yeah. movie, but uh, I think it's it's up there as one of the best Batman movies. And I think if if someone's a Batman fan at all and they've not seen it, they should they should watch this. I uh, I definitely agree. It doesn't you don't leave very satisfied. You know you don't get. Uh... I, I mean, you can kind of make the argument that he was going to save Jason and leave the Joker to die, but the Joker clearly didn't die. Jason got away. There's really no resolution to any of it. Um, and it's one of those things that the more I like look at a lot of these Batman movies and stories, the lack of resolution to a lot of things is starting to get annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I really wish they would do more... Um, isolated and I mean that's a lot of the rumors right now I guess is that like with DC Black Label Comics and the end of like the next crisis event maybe going away and Future State coming out maybe DC's going to transition to more like isolated stories in a way so you can have a lot of like crazy storylines coming out where no one's concerned about like oh we can't kill the Joker because what's Batman without the Joker Yeah, or something like that there's more room for resolution in a lot of storylines and being able to do different things like radical different things I agree and unfortunately this movie to me it's really cool that we see like oh Jason's alive but that's really it ultimately that's really all you're getting out of this in terms of uh, of the story yeah as far as I'm concerned and it's it's too bad that you couldn't do some sort of big uh, deliverance but I guess they have the new uh, Death in the Family movie with the choices. Yeah. So you could ultimately be like, Jason kills the Joker. Done deal. I hear that that wasn't very good, though. <laughs> and I hear, like, I hear I, people were unsatisfied with the choices because it was still like ultimately led to the same place for the most part. I've seen some, like, check. I don't know if you want to watch the movie, play it, do that whole thing yourself, but I watched a couple of, like, the potential endings on YouTube and there's some pretty different ones man I think yeah. it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to go poke around on okay uh, I might go poke around on it then but yeah I feel like the the comic one was also fairly unsatisfying but the fact the, the thing about the comic one is that because of how everyone was involved it was it was so much more like I guess world shattering like Tim was affected by Jason coming back Dick was affected by Jason coming back Barbara was affected by Jason coming back like they were, it, it was felt further than just Bruce. Yeah. And then, but in this, it just feels like it, it's only affected by Bruce. But then he later, like at the very end of the movie, 
he he pretty much says this change is nothing and he goes about his business like okay <laughs> <laughs> like that's what i say there's really not a whole lot of resolution i do really appreciate uh like you talked about like it being emotional like there's emotional scenes when uh jason's kind of like putting it all out there to batman when he's got the choker in hand and for me i found that scene kind of whiny as weird as that sounds in a lot of ways <laughs> it sounded a little whiny i'm like this is a grown man he's complaining it's like his girlfriend just broke up with him or something and it wasn't until like the end of the movie where you actually see bruce uh like i don't know if he was getting ready to go or something like that for a mission he's drinking his coffee and then you see little jason todd jumping out and spooking alfred and then jumping onto the batmobile like talking about how like there's the best day ever like the best day of his life is becoming robin yeah that that scene for me was the emotional part of the movie like this character you know batman picked him up off the streets he became robin he loved it and he had anger issues and stuff like that but he ultimately loved uh the life yeah and then he died and then you know you don't know i guess you can assume he got away somehow but there really wasn't any sort of resolution for him and it's kind of depressing that way yeah. but it was a very good ending as far as i'm concerned i'm getting emotional just even to hear you talk about it like yeah like that's the thing about jason that a lot of people ignore and i like that i liked it that he's becoming more prominent so that people know this but like he especially when they gave him his second origin like he loved being robin he he loved it more than anything like he loved being batman's sidekick he loved fighting crime he loved like feeling like he was making a difference because he like if i remember correctly both his parents were either criminals or like drug addicts and like his mom abandoned him and his dad died or or something it's like the only thing he knew was first was living on the street and then the, after that, the only thing he knew was being Robin. Yeah. And then everything that he learned from Batman was that, like, we don't stand for crime. Like, we we stop this. Like, and then he dies. And he learns that at least it's not true. because, Like, we later learn that it's not true. But in his eyes, he learns that not only was he not important, because he's easily replaced but that he wasn't important because Batman didn't do anything yeah he just left the Joker and kept on going as he always did so it's like you took away everything that the only thing that mattered to this kid gets taken away from him because he dies and then he comes back and it's all gone like it it's good stuff <laughs> it, you know i wanted to touch back on this earlier is you know you mentioned how uh obviously there was the vote right to decide if jason was gonna live or die and you know apparently like the vote was rigged or something tell like with you having more experience than me with comic books and how batman's story has progressed over the years how different do you think Batman's uh, continuity and story and character would be if Jason didn't die? Do you because the more I keep looking at like comics to buy for grading and stories that I'm watching, so many things are tied to 
that failure in a lot of ways. And there's so many important storylines that I'm looking to buy that have some sort of connection to Jason and Jason's revival and the impact of that. If right. that didn't happen, do you think, like, where do you think that story would really be now? Would it be anywhere near what it is? It's it's really hard to say. Um, I feel like it, the obvious answer would be to say yes, like, uh, it or or to say no, I guess things would be very different. Like, but huh. so I was gonna say, like in the Dark Knight Returns, I mentioned earlier that he he does in the Dark Knight Returns, it's a Batman who retired after Jason Todd died, right? I don't know if they specifically say because oh, they Jason do, Todd they, they do say it, but the the thing is that came out before Death in the Family. Did. Yeah, so he like so Jason like so he was much older. So this when Bat when Jason Todd died in Dark Knight Returns, he was forty. Batman was forty five, so he was significantly older and stuff. So but he died in a different way. So I was gonna say like we wouldn't get stories like the Dark Knight Returns, but we got that anyways beforehand. So I, I guess not much would have changed. Like all the major storylines that came like after Jason's death could have been changed to where like if he was still alive but what's interesting is because what if I get what kind of significant stories has there really been where because Jason would have eventually I'm, I'm assuming would have kind of just been a dick clone essentially is how it would have eventually became a trans- like it would have translated to him just being a dick clone in some form. Well, he was he was already aggressive before, so I could have like even if he hadn't died, I could have seen him becoming a villain or becoming like a kind of anti-hero character. Regardless, mm. but um, it's like it's hard to say. Like it's hard to look back and say in that regard. Like I, it would have been a longer time, I think, before we got another Robin. So, like, it would have been even longer before a character like Tim Drake came along or whoever the new or third Robin would have been in that instance. But, uh, ultimately, I don't think it would have much changed Batman because while the failure was a big thing, it also kind of went away (laughs) after a time. Kind of didn't really matter in a lot of ways. Like he's, he's no, still it, a grumpy old man. Yeah, well, like because like other things became more prominent. Like in Nightfall, uh, after Nightfall, it was more I have to keep doing this because no one's ready to take over. Because he saw the failure of trying to pass it on to someone else and like that it's kind of thing. Back issues. Yeah, so it's hard. It's like it's hard to say. I think it it just in the universe we live in. I think it's better off for it having happened that way because we got some really good stories out of it but it's you know it's hard to say how it would have gone in any other way like because i know the tv show titans um which is it's actually like surprisingly entertaining especially the second season's really good uh they're in the third season jason todd's gonna be the red hood without like dying he's just gonna go from being rob like an aggressive robin into being the red hood and I don't know how they're going to do it. I just, but he's he's not died. So like, unless they kill him in between seasons, and bring him back, 
Oh, uh, they'll probably do like a, I don't know, the Joker beat him up really bad, and then he. Well, he got he got beaten up really bad by Deathstroke and like dropped off a building, okay. but he was saved by uh, by Superboy. So like, there's there's they started planting the seeds that you could see how he's going to become the Red Hood without it, but like. I guess that kind of points out if he, even if he had lived, it was possible for them to go very much in this way, I guess. It's definitely an interesting idea, or an idea, interesting thing to think about because, you know, definitely watching this last movie, it, it really kind of hit home for me just because of all the time reading the three Jokers comics and, uh, heck, I even think of the Batman Arkham, Arkham Knight game. Yeah, it had the same sort of uh, whininess to the story as well, and I'm like, I wonder, like, significantly, if anything would have really happened if that didn't happen to Jason. If that wasn't a part of the story. It's a lot of that kind of rehashing that I hope, you know, I briefly mentioned it. That I hope uh, maybe after this next crisis, maybe we can see more dramatic changes and new villains and. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually now that now that you talk about it, I'm sitting here like, cause, like not many people know this. Like everyone who listens to this kind of knows me, so I probably mentioned it to most of them. <laughs> that like I had a theory early on, or at least a hope that Suicide Squad Joker would have would turn out to be Jason Todd, yeah, which I've I've talked about to you. That would have been so cool. So like maybe that's it's all there to say that he could have become a villain like on the lines of Joker if he had lived, like that kind of stuff, because just even like looking at it on reddit because i just googled it just to see if there was like an elseworlds or a what if comic of if he had never died because they do that stuff a lot and i guess the movie the new movie is kind of that but i think like it's everyone seems to kind of have a good idea that tim drake would not have happened like so there would have been no tim drake and tim drake is a very big part of the 90s 2000s batman like world He's become a lot less important since they like rebooted with the new Fifty Two and stuff, but he was very important to uh, to everything. Like in the early two thousands, right before the new Fifty Two, um, Ra's al Ghul like actually uh, pointed towards Tim Drake to be the successor. Like he, yeah, I saw that. That's cool. Because like he calls he if anyone reads or hasn't read it. Uh, Ra's al Ghul calls Batman the detective and he has not called anyone else the detective until Tim Drake and he calls Tim Drake the detective now like <laughs> not anymore because it's been rebooted but near the end of the main continuity before the new 52 uh, Tim Drake had kind of been pointed in that direction not that he was going to become Batman but he was more like the spiritual successor which I really like. I'm pretty sure Batman even says something uh, along the lines of how Tim is kind of uh, the best choice to replace him. I don't yeah. know if that's true. I feel like I've since or read something somewhere that suggested that uh, Bruce was kind of, as he's kind of grown and developed, like you know, Dick was kind of he needed to become Robin to get through his thing, but then he grew up and did his own thing. Jason obviously died, <laughs> uh, and it was too violent for the role. But like Tim had a love for it i guess yeah a certain sort of love for it i think tim uh like at the time the battle for the cow took place i think tim was just too young and then 
But like if if they had continued in that main continuity and like everyone had grown up a little longer, I think Tim would be the best choice. Um, because like, Dick doesn't need it. Dick can can do just as much good as Nightwing. Yeah. Um. But Tim could be like a brighter Batman, if that makes sense. He's definitely way funnier. Yeah. It's one of the that was one of the great things I did pick up on when I was reading Black Mirror. Uh, obviously, Dick is really funny, but I think uh, there's this one this one brief scene where they're looking at some thugs, and then, I don't know if it was Tim or if it was Dick, but one is like, "Oh, be careful! They're wearing sunglasses at night." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "That's just that's awesome." Yeah. No, Tim is uh, Tim's a great character, and, and I know I remember from during the Teen Titans uh, the best Teen Titans run in my opinion is the run where it's the main like trio is um, Tim Drake, Robin uh, Connor Kent Superboy and uh, Bart Allen Kid Flash and there's like an arc where like uh, a version of them from a future timeline come and they learn that they've kind of become villains but they're like he's Batman like Connor Superman and stuff and it's really good. Like <laughs> it's very very good, but uh there are some versions where he does become Batman, so I I could see it. So like I guess I would miss him a lot if they took him away. Uh I mean it's it's one of those things where it's definitely interesting to wonder where the story would have gone or if it would have actually changed a whole lot, I guess long term. Uh but it's, it's like it's crazy though how often he's ignored like Tim? yeah Tim because like a lot of people thought he wasn't going to be in Gotham Knights they have now said that he is the Robin in Gotham Knights so not Damien but like I don't think Tim's at all an injustice um, he's in Young Justice but barely like it's mostly Dick they follow uh, when they made uh, the animated series they called the character Tim, but it's essentially Jason, because like it's Jason's background and stuff. Like, Tim has the unfortunate case of being like, obviously Dick is the first Robin who becomes Night. Like that's that's big standout stuff. Jason's obviously the Robin that died and then came back and became like, the antihero. Tim is just kind of like there. Even when you look at Damien, like Damien's Bruce's actual kid who was trained by assassins like his story like those characters stories are so much more than Tim's I know Tim like you know goes on to become like the Red, Red Robin and everything but like I can't see there being a whole lot about him that stands out as huge but I feel like so like my my issues in on that is and it's kind of similar to how a lot of people like to view Spider-Man so I'll, I'll preface this by saying for like you know how a lot of people when they talk about Spider-Man when they, they like complain that Tobey Maguire was too old and that Andrew Garfield was too old and that Spider-Man has to be in high school. Well, unless you're in your 40s or 50s, as someone who's, like, if you've read comic books or followed Spider-Man media, unless you're in 40, your 40 and 50s, you've never seen Spider-Man in high school. He's always been an adult. When we had the Spider-Man cartoon, he was in university or he had his job, he was an adult. In all the games, he was an adult. In the comics at the time, for the entire time that we have been alive, 
he has been an adult. <laughs> and it's just kind of like that with Robin. It's like, unless you are born in the late 70s or earlier, and if you've read Batman, Tim Drake is your Robin. He has always been Robin. From 1989 until 2007, I think, he has been Robin. 2009, excuse me. So for t- like the entire time I read comics, he was Robin. Like, yeah, but see, that's only true to comics, right? Like, yeah, and that's what I mean, that he doesn't get his respect. Yeah, and it's, he doesn't get his respect. So it's like, that's why I was so happy Like when I was playing Arkham Knight, or not, Arkham City, and he's the Robin. I'm like, yes! Yeah. <laughs> Good. It's funny, I think, uh, you know, I've talked about me having quite a bit of like love for Batman stuff. Even when I'm thinking back, like, the only times Tim really came to mind was like maybe some stuff from the Batman animated series. Return of the Joker, which is very off what you would expect for like story anyway. And then Arkham City, I believe. I don't even yeah. think he was an Arkham Asylum. Like there wasn't a whole lot that talks about Tim. Yeah, that's it. Like it's <laughs> literally it. It's uh he is in um so he's in the new Batman Adventures, so which is the sequel to the Batman animated series. Uh and he's the Robin in that, but he is essentially, like I mentioned, he's essentially Jason Todd. He just has the name Tim Drake. Um, and he's well, in... Why do you think they would go that way? They decided to amalgamate them. Like, they chose, instead of bringing in Jason and killing him, uh, they were just going to take parts of Jason and parts of Tim and put them together. And then kill Tim at some point. Well, he's still alive. He just got jokered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got jokered pretty good. I love that movie. Oh, it's that's it's, it's of, incredible. That's, that's one of my favorite movies too. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, but yeah, so Tim, he's only in that. But if anyone ever watched like the Superman animated series or the Justice League cartoon, any Robin you saw in those was was Tim. It's really the downside of every character going by the superhero name and not the real one. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just Robin, get over here. Robin, go away. Yeah, so he 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 he's been done dirty. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) And even more so now because he's like barely prevalent. Well, no, because it's all about Damien now. Yep. So like Damien's the one on Teen Titans. Uh, Anytime they do anything, they usually follow Dick or they follow Robin or not Rob, Jason Todd. It's really yeah. That's another one of those. It's really too bad that they're not doing more to push things. Like there was a whole great story arc where um, and it was near the end of New 52 where Tim Drake becomes Batman and he becomes Batman Beyond and the reason for that is because Terry uh, there's like this there was an arc called Future's End where like there was something going on in the future and anyways Terry Regenis dies and so to honor him uh, Tim Drake takes on his role as Batman and it's really good like it's really good but it, it they cut it off, of course, once they get to the part of, like, when they restored the timeline and stuff, but it was... It, he doesn't get his due. Your, your voice is getting all robotic on me now. Robotic? <laughs> what? It's getting robotic? Yeah. Oh. Call's getting a little weird. Oh, okay. But yeah, we're already over two hours, so this will be my longest episode yet. Uh, 
and we've we've talked about the three moves we're going to talk about. Um, <laughs> if you want to come back and do the other one, uh, that'd be cool. The next one's planned, at least for me, will be uh, Batman: The Dark Knight Returns, Part One and Two, uh, which kind of have to go together. Uh, Batman: Hush, and then maybe Son of Batman, but I'm not sure. Uh, that can probably be arranged in another way. I want to watch all of the animated ones, though. That's my my main plan. Oh, like, uh, yeah, because I mean, for the most part, we, we did touch on some of the great stuff from the Dark Knight. Anyway, uh, the animated stuff probably offers more. More anyway, you should really. I think you said you didn't watch the Killing Joke for the sake of discussion. You should definitely watch it. <laughs> okay, I'll think about it. Uh, yeah, but I didn't. I did not watch it. Um, yeah, the, the thing, just thing about talking about the animated or the animated movies is it's also a lot of they cover a lot of storylines that you, as someone who's just getting new into the reading of the comics, might not be familiar with. So, so I, I feel like that's a better way to go because, like, I know Bad Blood, for example, which I've not watched yet. I've always been meaning to, but that one introduces Batwoman. It introduces uh, Batwing, like it introduces a lot of characters. So that a lot of people might not be familiar with and, and that kind of stuff so I do enjoy how the animated movies do do that <laughs> do do <laughs> yeah no it'll be definitely good to uh... well I sent you that whole list of movies I want to watch yeah there's like so many on there what's that what's a couple more are gonna hurt yeah so but the next ones the main ones at least on, on my schedule that I have in mind are The Dark Knight Returns 1 and 2 Hush, and then probably Son of Batman. Probably Son of Batman first, I guess, so that you can actually, like, meet Damien before you watch other movies with Damien. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's my oh, plan. That sounds like a plan. I'll probably watch, actually, one of those tonight for sure. Yeah, I'm probably going to watch Dark Knight Returns Part 2 while I make dinner, so. There you go. Alright, well, good talk. Thanks for having me out. Yeah, I'm going to say goodbye for this episode, and it's been a good times, and uh, should be back sometime soon yeah I'll talk to you soon